Good evening, friends. Welcome to Valley Writers Read. This is your host, Franz Weinschenk, here to introduce you to Desi's story. Our author tonight, Barbara Link, takes us right inside the mind and actions of a precocious 11-year-old who lives with her family way out there in the vast wheatlands of Montana. The name of her story is Yellow Airplane. And here's the author, Barbara Link, to read it for us. Yellow Airplane During the first summer of the Second World War, both Desi and Creed lusted to fly the Yellow Airplane. The Piper Cub was the only legacy of the failed crop-dusting business that their father had operated in the town of Saco, Montana, population 1507. Creed had the better chance to fly. Last year, when he was 18, he'd had his first lesson. That flight had ended in a mishap, but later he'd sneaked a few short runs on his own. Besides, any day Creed expected to get called up into the Air Force. Desi, 11, had no earthly reason to fly, but she still had wild hope. Creed and his father, Henry Scow, pushed the plane into the strong noon sunlight. From the edge of the packed dirt field they used for a runway, Desi stared at the plane. It was a high-wing tail-dragger, popular since 1938. Its wings and body gleamed yellow, brighter than the yellow of the wheat stubble from the nearby fields. The top of the plane had been scraped as Creed taxied it into a low shed, but he had worked the rough edges over with his welding torch. The tandem leather seats were cracked and filled with wheat chaff and dust. Creed crouched at the controls. Desi hopped on one foot, then the other, as Henry turned the propeller until the engine caught, chugged, smoked, and ran smoothly. Creed bumped over the wheat stubble, the wings flapping like a crow's. Airborne, he waved and flew in a large circle. Desi galloped back and forth across the field in her wild Mustang imitation, racing the airplane. The wind rushed through her sleeveless blouse. Her white blonde braids streamed out behind her, and her feet barely touched the black dirt of the fields. Creed landed hard, blowing the wheat stubble over the two waiting. Desi pressed her face into her father's bare, brown forearm. He smelled of sweat and gasoline. Now, Henry, my turn. Take me up. Creed had always called his dad and mom by their first names, and Desi had followed suit. Henry cleared his throat and spit. It lay on the stubble like a shiny green jewel. 
I haven't been up since my partner crashed, but we had some times him flying while I shot those stinking coyotes. They took five cows down one winter. He smiled with tobacco-stained teeth. Please, Desi begged. Creed wiped his hands on his jeans and he slicked back his hair. Hey, Henry, what do you say? Should I give her a flying lesson? Don't bother, Henry answered. She's not going off to war. Just a ride, then. I need the practice. The Air Force trains in Piper Cubs, Creed said. Okay, but take it easy on Desi. Remember when you taxied into the shed. Creed strapped her in the single seat behind his. Then he took the controls. Henry spun the prop and the engine whirred. Creed pulled the stick. They jounced over the stubble until the wheels lifted off the ground. The hot, dry wind whirled Desi's breath away. She squeezed her eyes shut and gripped Creed's arm. It felt like riding the Ferris wheel at the Valley County Fair, like the moment when the lights, the cotton candy stand, the animal barns, and her friends turned tiny under her feet. But the plane, unlike the Ferris wheel, did not start down. Creed put the plane into a stall, flying straight up until the plane fell back, engine quiet, hanging. Desi sagged in her seat. Stop, she yelled. Let me out. Hang on. Creed banked sharply and turned upside down. Desi's braids fell away from her face. Her throat burned with sour orange juice from breakfast. Her screams flew back in her throat. Creed dived into a long series of barrel rolls. He turned to Desi and whooped. Through her fingers clasped over her eyes, she saw his silver fillings glinting in the bright light. I'm awful sick, she yelled. He straightened out the plane and flew low over the house in the barn, and then he spotted some power lines and dipped underneath. Finally, he pulled back the stick and landed. Some ride, huh? Desi staggered out of the plane. The earth lifted in front of her. She held out her arms for balance until the exhaust and hot oil fumes caused her to retch into her hands. But nothing came up. It was already out somewhere in the pure blue sky. Creed grabbed her narrow shoulders. Hey, little kiddo, no more flying for you. He smoothed her braids and pushed her toward the house. That afternoon, Creed came back from the mailbox grinning. A brown envelope marked U.S. Air Force held his orders to report to Sweetwater, Texas for flight training. 
The following morning, the family sat for a goodbye breakfast. Desi kept her eyes on her plate as she picked raisins out of the warm apple cake. Bye, kiddo, he tossed in Desi's direction. He saluted Henry and handed Lois his coffee cup. By yourself, Desi said to the closing screen door. She stayed alone in the kitchen as Henry and Lois went to the porch. The morning after Creed left, Desi wandered to the makeshift airstrip. Around her in the black and gold wheat fields, dust devils swirled like small tornadoes. She tried to run, to fly away over the fields like when she'd raced the plane. But something had gone wrong with her legs. They jiggled and felt heavy like she was wearing Henry's big overshoes. When she got to the hay barn, she eyed the plane. It crouched under the huge canopy, and her face burned with the memory of her ride with Creed. After lunch, Desi was in Creed's room. Ignoring Lois's call to help in the kitchen, she breathed deeply the familiar boy smell that came from the pile of dirty clothes on the floor, the rumpled blankets on the bed, and the carburetor parts on the desk. It made her miss Creed even more. And she remembered when she was small how he let her sit on his bed while he worked on his model airplanes. She would snuggle into his blanket and suck her thumb. Creed didn't call her a baby like Lois did. Sometimes he'd give her a stick of balsa wood to play with. Desi liked to rub the soft wood over her lips. Creed's rifle hung on a rack on his wall. She brought it down, grabbed his flannel shirt, and sneaked out the front door. She detoured wide around the hay barn and headed toward the Milk River. Lying on the bank, she sighted through the rifle. Although she'd learned to shoot at the gun club, she was never allowed to shoot anywhere else. At the club, she'd crouch on an old mattress, press the cold metal of the gun to her cheek, and fire. She kept all her cream-colored targets in her scrapbook. She was real proud that most of her shots were inside the black concentric circles. Pow! She yelled, pow, pow! Her bullets made little dents in the brown, muddy water and spurts of dust on the opposite shore. Looking for a better target, she scrounged the bank. There, she yelled and tossed in a milk bottle. I got you! Pow, pow! Next, she found a jar, the kind Lois used for canning. She flung it upriver as hard as she could, then flopped on the ground and fired as the current swept it by. Urgently, she plunged through the bushes, finding more canning jars. 
using them for targets, she relished the cracking of the glass. Eventually, her arms ached from holding the heavy gun and her cheek smarted from the kick. But she kept tromping along the bank, breaking through the sage and tumbleweeds and firing. A crow cawed loudly and flapped to a cottonwood tree. She aimed carefully, squeezed the trigger, and the bird fell. A rush of excitement propelled her to the bottom of the tree. Creed got 15 cents for each pair of crow legs when he took them to the county egg office. But she found only a pile of bloody feathers that made her feel so bad, her stomach hurt. Suddenly the air turned cooler and the sun was like a red ball on the horizon. She had been gone too long. In the kitchen, the supper dishes were piled high in the drainer and were covered with a white dish towel like a fat-bellied corpse in the morgue. Desi, Henry striding in from the front room, grabbed her arm. You miss supper. She stared back. What's that, Creed's gun? Give me it here and get to your room. Lois pushed her out of the kitchen. Desi put Creed's shirt over her blouse and waited in her room that was actually the sleeping porch on the back of the house. Hot this time of day, Desi wondered if with Creed gone, she'd inherit his bedroom. It faced east and had puddles of warm sun in the morning and cool shade in the late afternoon. Lois pulled down Desi's underpants. With the bristle side of the hairbrush, she whacked Desi's butt and the back of her legs until they were flecked with pinpricks of blood. With her fists clenched, Desi stayed on her bed until 10 o'clock. Sore and hungry, she sneaked down to the empty kitchen and grabbed a package of saltine crackers from the cupboard and a hunk of butter from the icebox. Following the same path as her afternoon shooting spree, she raced back to the river. She paused on the Milk River Bridge, her sweaty hands gripping the cool, rusty iron railing. The black current trickled below. She stayed in the shadows as a car bumped over the wooden planks. She thought of Cecil Harrison, the husband of her piano teacher. Esther Harrison had soft, sagging white cheeks that smelled of face powder. Their small frame house squatted in the older section on the south side of town, the front door nearly hidden by lilac bushes. On Tuesday afternoons after school, on her way to her piano lesson, Desi always poked along. She observed her own personal rules about not stepping on sidewalk cracks. Usually she sat in the parlor on the horsehair sofa, her legs itching, waiting for her turn at the piano. 
That's when Cecil would wander in and sit too close to her. His old man's bad breath filled the tiny room, and she twisted away from him. She had her lesson in the front room at the spinet piano with a wood metronome. In time with its tick-tock, Mrs. Harrison tapped Desi's fingers with her pencil whenever Desi missed a note. During her lessons, Mr. Harrison wandered in and out of the room like a dry branch rubbing on the screen. Go away, Cecil, Mrs. Harrison often told him. And he did. One day, during Desi's lesson, he walked to the Milk River Bridge and jumped in. No one saw him climb on the rail or noted how long he stood or if he called out. Desi crouched on the bank at the very same place where she'd shot the gun. Humid air drifted off the water, and mosquitoes buzzed, but didn't land. She had something in her skin that they wanted to avoid. The river air smelled of mud and frogs. She opened the crackers and dipped them into the butter cube. That was now the consistency of whipped cream. Greedily, she crushed the crackers in her mouth, gobbling the whole package and tossing the wax paper wrapper into the bushes. Removing her saddle shoes and socks, she waited in the dark shallows, although she was supposed to wait an hour after eating. And, of course, she had orders to never swim alone. The water coated her legs and the current pulled at her knees. Returning to the bank, she dropped her shorts, creed shirt, panties, undershirt on the muddy bank and returned to the water. Like a frog stretching in its own skin, she kicked her legs wide in the dark river. When her teeth chattered, she got out. Spreading Creed's flannel shirt, she sat to dry off. The moon made a white trail through the water and outlined the cottonwood trees and the bridge. Idly trailing her fingers in the dirt, she felt three small river rocks and scooped them in her hand. Cool and smooth like cat-eye marbles, she touched them to her lips. Then she ran them over her legs. She sat for what seemed like hours watching the dark river and rubbing the healing rocks on her bruised skin. Desi, for God's sakes, get up and help me. It's canning day. Lois banged on her door. Desi struggled. She'd been dreaming about being on a sandy beach with Creed. They'd flown over the blue water in the yellow airplane. She shoved Creed's flannel shirt under her pillow. Lois sighed at the messy room, the rumpled clothes. She scooped up the dirty things, frowning at the muddy underpants and pushing them under the other clothes. 
Desi smoothed her braids and rubbed her sticky eyes. She found clean shorts and a blouse and followed Lois to the garden. They squatted to pick just as the sun was coming up over the grain elevators. Desi's bottom felt sore from the hairbrush, and the juice from the ripe tomatoes crept up her arms. Later, Desi wiped the lids of twenty-five quarts of tomatoes. Rivulets of steam ran down her cheeks. Her hair felt wet and stringy. Transferring the mason jars to the pantry, two of them slipped from her sweaty hands. Red sauce, cooked tomatoes, and broken glass spread over the kitchen floor. I didn't mean to. Sorry, sorry. Desi scooped the broken glass and tomatoes into the garbage pail. Lois squatted beside her. I could slap you, silly kiddo, but I'm too tired. Desi rinsed the red-stained dish rag. Can I go now? Okay, but tomorrow I need you for the green beans. Desi started out the screen door. Wait a sec, Lois called. Let me fix your hair. She wiped her hands on the hem of her dress and quickly braided Desi's wet hair. Oh, I almost forgot. She gave Desi's head a final pat. Alita needs you to babysit at four. Do I have to? What on earth's the matter with you? She yanked Desi's braid. They fuss a lot, and Alita nurses them all the time. It makes me sick. Desi pulled her shirt around her chest. Don't talk like that. Just go. Desi thought how to quiet the twins. Maybe she could dance for them, pretending to do a show for Creed. She'd do her gypsy dance wearing the old lace tablecloth, or the hula dance like she saw in the National Geographic, wearing her red and yellow crepe paper grass skirt and her lay of cottonwood leaves. When Desi arrived, Alita said to take the twins for a walk. Desi wheeled the babies toward the grade school, singing Montana Aloha, a song she had composed with words that changed daily. When Desi got to the far side of the school, black thunderheads rolled over the grain elevators. As the temperature plummeted, goosebumps puckered her arms and legs. When hail the size of popcorn smacked their bare legs, the twins started to howl. Desi pushed the heavy stroller as fast as she could, but it wasn't her speed that saved them. From the school, one of the roofing crew raced out. Quickly, he tucked the stroller under one muscled brown arm and Desi under the other and propelled them through the double doors of the brick building. He lifted the babies out of the stroller and placed them on the schoolroom floor. 
They patted fat fingers on the smooth wood and cooed to each other. Their rescuer leaned on the teacher's desk and pulled up a chair for Desi. Outside, the hail broke the windows of the parked cars and piled up in the gutters like drifting snow. I've never been in school in the summer, Desi said. It smells different. Where did you go to school? What's your name? I'm Desi, but my nickname is, well, it used to be Kiddo, but I'm changing it to Sandra. She held out her hand like she'd seen her brother do. I'm Owen. Pleased to meet you. He took her small hand and then picked at his own hand that was peppered with bumps of dried tar. North Dakota, Yankton. But I never stayed in school for long. In fifth grade, the teacher wanted me to read in front of everybody. You know what I did? No. Jumped out the window and ran home. Never come back. With her forefinger, Desi traced the deep-cut initials G-J-M on the desktop. Is that a story? You're pretty swift for a kid. Hey, you want a piece of tar to chew? No. I'm almost 14. I'm just skinny. All my family is. My big brother joined up. He was going to teach me to fly, but I, I accidentally got sick. I don't know if he'll ever be back. Betcha he will. Who'd leave a cute little sis like you? Besides, we're going to win the war. The hail continued, and the schoolroom darkened to half-light. The twins fussed a little, and Desi put them back in the stroller. Owen hummed under his breath. Inching closer to Owen, Desi announced, I can do a gypsy dance and the hula. Want to see? Sure, kid. Desi moved to the front of the classroom. She positioned her arms. First the hula. I'll be singing, too. Stiffly at first, she moved her hips and hummed. Slowly, she danced the aisles between the desks. Up one, down the other, up the next and down, swaying her hips until they bumped the desks. She danced in a small circle around the green metal wastebasket, moving her hands like the prairie wind rolling through the wheat. At the chalkboard, she lifted two erasers and clapped them over her head in time to her hips. Dancing to the windows, she wove the window shade cords around her arms and through her braids, all the while crooning of blue waves, white sands, and green palm trees. Next, she undulated to the coat closet at the rear of the schoolroom. In one entrance and out the other, making accelerating circles, brushing the coat hooks with her flying braids until her breath raced behind her like a grass fire. Suddenly, she noticed Owen was gone and the babies were asleep. 
there was no one to watch her. But it didn't matter. Her dance just took over. Faster and faster she whirled the green stormlight, the sleeping babies, and the empty schoolroom. The day after the storm was Green Bean Day. After working all morning in the hot kitchen, Desi ran to her room and closed the door. Lois poked her nose in. What are you doing? What on earth are you doing? Desi was wearing only her cotton panties and the lace tablecloth. Dancing, just dancing and singing. Dancing? Lois rubbed the small of her back. Well, finish your game and then come to the kitchen and set with me. We can have a bite of applesauce cake. The next morning early, before the milkman arrived in his noisy truck with the clanking bottles, when only the rooster crowed and the air was so cold, Desi's teeth chattered. She ran to the hay barn. Gingerly from a paper sack, she pulled out the lace tablecloth. She draped it over her shoulders and slipped under the canopy. Sunlight angled through cracks in the roof, and dust motes floated around the plain like dry snow. It seemed smaller than she remembered, and the rear wheel was as flat as a punctured bike tire. After a long pause, Desi approached and picked at a scrap of peeling yellow paint. For the first time, she noticed that the windshield and side windows had been knocked out, leaving tiny edges of jagged glass. She gripped one of the struts. When the metal warmed in her hand, she climbed in the pilot's seat and spread her shawl around her. Then she put her feet on the rudder, her hand on the stick, and took control of the plane. That was Barbara Link reading a very realistic story entitled Yellow Airplane. From the beginning, we'd realize that this precocious 11-year-old is becoming a real adolescent. She has a big crush on her older brother Creed, 
Before he leaves for the Air Force, Creed gives her the ride of her life in their dad's yellow Piper Cub. Even after he's gone, she drags around his shirt like a security blanket. She shoots his gun down by the river, missing her dinner, which gets her into plenty of hot water. But she doesn't seem to care. Her adolescence is pushing her into new territory. She seems to be forging her own destiny, regardless of her parents' advice and rules. She's dancing to her own music, fashioning what will soon become her own independence, almost unconscious of the world around her, and ends up wanting most of all just to fly that yellow piper cub all by herself. Friends, our author tonight, Barbara Link, lives in Sacramento. She holds an M.A. in literature from Mills College. Her fiction and poetry have appeared in Hardpan, Ditchbank, Anima, and the American River Review. She also won the Bazanella Writing Award at Sacramento State. Thanks for such an insightful story tonight, Barbara. Hope you're working on another one for us for next year. And so we come to the close of another edition of Valley Writers Read. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear tonight's or any other Valley Writers Read story, just go online at kvpr.org and link up with archived audio. Next week, our author will be Paul Hernandez. In the meantime, this is your host, Franz Weinschenk, wishing you and yours a great life story until we meet again. Good night. Valley Writers Read is a production of Valley Public Radio produced by Don Weaver and Franz Weinschenk. Please join us again next Wednesday at 7 p.m. for another edition of Valley Writers Read.